You're listening to the Platte River Bard. Today we have a longer but really important talk with Kevin Duncaster, founder of Warhawks PTSD Service Dogs, and Jimmy Weber, who is a friend of the podcast, local creative, and will be one of the three musicians performing at the fundraiser Chords for Canines on September 21st at Benson Theater. Our programming today is a little different than usual, but we really felt it was an important fundraiser that helps unite veterans and service dogs. It's important to note the high percentage of suicides that are our service members. Our guest, Kevin Duncaster, a veteran himself, is helping save veterans' lives with this program, and it is an important fundraiser for Warhawks to be able to continue to train service dogs. Along with Jimmy Weber's incredible performance, there are two other talented musicians who will be performing at this event, Ion and Jason Bernstill. And a note of warning for those sensitive to this topic. We will be talking about war, suicide, and suicidal feelings on this program today. We hope that by talking about this, we not only help those suffering, but we support the continuance of the Warhawks PTSD Service Dog Program. As you'll hear on this program, the Warhawks organization is struggling to survive. If you can't attend this music-filled fundraising event, you can donate directly online at warhawkptsdservicedogs.org. If you're a veteran in crisis or know a veteran in crisis, you can contact the Veteran Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 or text 838 838- Two five five, and now on with our interview. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Platte River Bard. This is Chris Berger, and I'm Sherry Berger, and we are here today with Kevin Duncaster. He is the founder of Warhawk PTSD Service Dogs. We are also here with Jimmy Weber, a musician extraordinaire. We've had him on the show. It's been a while, and you probably, if you live in this area. You probably have seen him at one point. I bet you have. Anyway, gentlemen, both welcome to the show. Thank you for coming to talk with us today. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, We're reuniting with you folks again. I know. Uh, It's been a while. It's been a while since our New Year's Eve podcast that we did with you. (laughs) That's right. It's been a couple years ago. (laughs) I had a great time, and I actually listened to it uh, afterwards, and I I enjoyed it. So usually when I I hear myself on the radio or TV or anything like that, I kind of cringe, but I just had such a good time with you folks. I understand. It was awesome. It was I understand. Awesome. No, it was an awesome night. Well, we're we're just excited. I, like I said before, we started the podcast. I saw your name, Jimmy. I saw PTSD service dogs. We love dogs. We love veterans. So I had to reach out. We love Benson. So I thought we would reach out and just talk about this really important fundraiser and the reasons that it's important, and uh, just just to kind of preempt. Jimmy, along with two other performers, are going to be doing the music for this fundraiser. And we've got the founder of the Warhawks PTSD Service Dogs here. So I guess we can start off. That's right. Yes, that's right. And and the name of the fundraiser coming up at the Benson Theater is going to be called Chords for Canines. And that's going to be on September 21st at 7 p.m. Benson Theater. That's right. Benson Theater. Love Benson Theater. Yes. So, so Kevin, you are the founder and former president of this organization. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why you started it? And I know, and talk about your mission as well. You bet. So we, we started in 2019. And um, I guess my story kind of goes all the way back to 2007. It's the first time I got blown up. I've got a... Um, mix and match uh, career of both being in the Marine Corps and serving as a DOD contractor as well. And the reason why I continued to go back is because my younger brothers were getting deployed. I had a pretty decent security clearance that could get me um, in situations where I could uh, help serve um, active duty personnel, keep them safe, provide overwatch, and in a lot of cases, uh, train and upskill. Afghan military forces, Afghan police, um, Afghan special forces. And um, I even got to put together a team at one point that um, 
would go uh, hunt the bad guys, find weapons, caches, and um, destroy IEDs. So um, I've got a pretty awesome career that I'm very proud of. Um, but uh, yeah, 2007 got blown up in Iraq. I uh, don't remember a whole lot about that, just that um, we were heading uh, to Baghdad to uh, locate two missing convoys, find out after the fact that they were basically obliterated. Uh, just about everybody was killed. Um, I got blown up in a, in a up-armored uh, Humvee in a roadside bomb, uh, wake up with medevac guys checking me out. And I love to tell this story because it, it kind of talks about the gravity of the situation and how I like to use humor to deflect. And um, the only thing that I could think about at the time was talking to the medevac boys and saying, hey, you know, even though I couldn't hear anything because I was deaf, dumb and stupid at the time uh, that they collected me, um, I was concerned if my uh, if all my parts were there. Right. So I I'm ta- I'm tapping this guy and I'm asking him, hey, is my stuff still there? Right. So he does this motion where he he checks like TSA checks when they rub their backs of their hands. against oh, your, Yeah. Your yeah. Right? Gives me a thumbs up, says, you're good, sir. Can't hear him. And whatever he just said doesn't matter because I'm going to need eyes on the situation. Right. So um, I got back to him and I tap him some more. I said, hey, man, I really need you to get check and make sure my stuff's And So this time he kind of does a little bit more of a motion and says that I'm okay. And I grab him and I pull him in a third time. I said, I really need you to get eyes on the situation. He pulls out his cutters and he cuts my pants and underwear off and I walk back onto that base bare ass and my dog came out. so um, those guys came back to visit me uh oh, told me the awesome. story and and because they they came up on a scene of carnage um a lot of guys didn't make it through that situation uh, because of that I kept telling jokes now I, I can honestly tell you that if they hadn't given me that account I, I don't know that I'd be able to tell this story again and again like I've done over the years because it, it is pretty damn funny and it does sound like something I would do <laughs> but um, I don't remember any of it they, they told it all to me oh, right? so, yeah. um, I would then go on for uh, three years recovering um, from that situation and in 2010 my youngest brother who was actually in the army says Kevin uh, I'm going back and this is going to be his second deployment to Afghanistan and he was really wanting my help and so um I said, Mike, I'm going to do the same thing I did for John. I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get geared up. I'm going to get my clearance back. I'm going to go out there and be with you. And, and so I did. And after I finished that contract, uh, I started in a base called FOB Ghazni. The military loved me so much that I became, uh, in the next four years, I would become the senior advisor to General McConville of 101st Airborne. And I'd, I'd be advising on the tactical battle, uh, battle space out there. So how does a junior or a junior enlisted guy from the Marine Corps rise to that occasion? I don't know, but um, I'd like to think that it's because people were seeing the impact that I was making and I knew my stuff. However, um, backtracking to um, October 13th of 2010, it's my very first uh, mission in Afghanistan. I'm trying to get to Fob Ghazni. I catch a ride with a Black Hawk and a Chinook and... Um, we take fire, and what I didn't know is that on this particular day, all throughout Regional Command East, um, Afghanistan, which is where all the fighting is because it butts up to Pakistan, okay. there was a coordinated offensive uh, by the Taliban. Everybody thinks these are stupid people, and that's uh, that couldn't be more further from the truth. Um, on that day, there was a lot of casualties across the board, and uh, my guys of third marine battalion fifth infantry division uh would sustain four kias that day one of which was uh lance corporal philip vinage my helicopter would take fire we would cripple back to base and um you know thing would go up in smoke and so i i survived that day and many of those marines would go on to die over the next six months and another 230 would lose an arm or a leg or both and this is where it all starts because of those over 200 Marines, I, I don't know how many are alive today because many of them have died by suicide. And throughout this conversation, I'm gonna say a few things and I'm gonna say this one thing right now. We've got to change the stigma 
I, I don't want people to use the terminology committed suicide because I don't believe that people commit cancer. And so I don't think that we should say that people are committing suicide. They're dying by suicide because something happened and it just rewired them the wrong way and mm -hmm. they need help. Yeah. They need some, um, yeah. they need their battle buddies. They need people to listen and understand that something's uh, not okay. That's fair. But um, in any event, I would go on to uh, form a bond with many of the mothers of 3rd Marine Battalion, 5th Infantry Division, known as Dark Horse. And one of those mothers is Julie Vinage. And um, if we fast forward, you know, to the four years straight that I stayed in Afghanistan, um, I came home um, after one of my service members killed himself on Bagram Airfield. And uh, that devastated me because I took pride in the fact that I had never lost uh, a U.S. life. If you were on my crew, one way or another, we were getting you home. And um, this young guy, first time he'd ever left home was joining the army. And he makes a phone call one night to mom and dad and they say, hey, we're getting a divorce. And that's that flipped him over the edge. Mm. Having never left home before and having been in a horrible environment in Afghanistan, he waited for us to hit the showers after shift, um, loaded his rifle, and you know the rest of the story. Right. Um, I waited for about three months, and I, I called my wife, who's also a Marine Corps veteran, said, I got to get out of here. I got to hang it up. I'm done. You know, and I, I, I don't know. I'd probably still be somewhere in the Middle East if that never happened. I'd probably still... Um, master my DOD contracting skills. I, I don't know, mm -hmm. but um, it impacted me greatly. So I, as the story goes, I come home, the honeymoon's great. After 14 years of trying to have a kid and never being successful at it, it happened this time. And now I'm in Korea next to Kim Jong idiot. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, this is not the best place to be having a kid come into the world. So pop smoke out of there, landed in Bartlesville, Oklahoma with Conoco Phillips and uh, baby on the way. Yeah. And Isabella, right? When you Isabella. factor in all that change, all the things I'd been through, I'd been blown up a second time where a uh, mortar landed next to me, knocked out the hearing out of my left ear, rattled my brain pretty good too. When you factor all those things, all those moving parts, um, I wasn't coping well. And um, I struggled for many years until I finally go, go back to see Julie Vinage, mother of Philip Vinage, killed on my alive day in Afghanistan. And she's got this dog, Grace. And um, if you've seen the promotional video that was put together, um, you'll see pictures of her and Grace. You'll see pictures of Julie and Grace together. Okay. Um, she said, Kevin, you got to get, you got to get one of these dogs. It's called a PTSD service dog. And, before I knew it, um, I got Lacey, you know, and, and that, how that happened is, um, you know, she's, she's coming up to me. She knows you're talking about it. <laughs> she does. Well, I'm getting, you know, and I'm getting amped up and it's yeah. probably visible to you guys, you know, because yeah. it's never easy to talk about, but I, I make a promise to um, anyone listening that I'm going to be as transparent as it takes so that we can get rid of that stigma so that guys can hear that it's okay to reach out. A lot of people think I'm put together pretty damn well, but you said something in your introduction. Former president, uh, you guys remember when Kabul fell? Um, I wanted to kill myself. When, when you look at you know, the amount of time and energy that you put into that place, the, time, the, the life loss, the, the funds, the building of the schools and bridges, our basic infrastructure, trying to better that country and watch it go away in one day without so much as a single round being fired. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Yeah. And I was embarrassed and ashamed. And I think um, instead of me feeling that, I think that our nation's leaders should feel that instead. I shouldn't carry that, that guilt, but I did. And I wanted to end it. So I called, <laughs> it's funny that Jimmy is in the Air Force, is an Air Force veteran, because I called my closest friend, um, an Air Force veteran, <laughs> J.R. Becker, who called me on that very day that Kabul fell, who was in Saigon when it fell in Vietnam. And uh, 
talked about the parallels there and how we're going to get through this together and how he was going to write the ship of Warhawk until I could come back. And uh, he's done a phenomenal job. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So how, how did we get to this point? (laughs) Uh, well, you got your service dog, you got Lacey. So I got Lacey two weeks after I get Lacey, another one of my buddies kills himself. Mm -hmm. Can you hear that in the in the headset? Her licking my ear. No, but I can um, see her doing. <laughs> uh, my buddy, another one of my buddies, kills himself, and um, I, I I remember praying that day, and uh, thinking, "What am I going to do?" Because I knew my life was changing, and I wanted to know how I could prevent this. I'm tired of seeing my brothers and sisters taking their lives, and uh, she just kept bugging me like she's doing right now. And I immediately thought, I got to call the guy that gave me Lacey. So I called him. And that night I said, how do I do what you did for me? He, he wouldn't accept a dime. I did my research. I knew how expensive this venture was going to be. And um, he's like, uh, there's no way I could charge you. And he asked me about my faith. He asked me um, if I believed in God. And I said, I did. And he said, then you understand that you cannot rob a man of his blessing. And man, that hit me. That, that hit me so hard in the stomach, you know, in the gut. And he said, I'm going to give you something, though. Do you go to church? Yes, sir, I do. I goes, okay, we'll drop a little extra in the bucket and we'll call it even. I said, okay, I can, I can feel good on that one. Yeah. So um, that night, over prayer and conversation, we formed Warhawk, and um, we were off and running. Yeah. Fast forward to today, we have over 50 dogs in 20 states. And uh, I don't know of a single organization that's been able to put up that kind of number in that wide of a geographical uh, situation the way we have. Right. Very proud of that. Yeah, that's amazing. And you've got trainers who are who are basically training 100 percent of their time. Need to go potty. I need to take her to the bathroom. Okay. I thought you were talking to me, Kevin. <laughs> I might leave that one. There's a little jaundice on my uh, iMac. It's the lighting. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, you've got you've probably got some other things in line after this. Oh, as far as performances, yeah, we've we've got a lot going on right now. I just got back from Nashville Friday night. Uh, we were recording and doing some edits. Uh, since COVID began, we're, we've completed uh, roughly three albums worth of material. Holy cow. Yeah, it's been just an amazing year. That's great. Uh, when a lot of people have said the same thing. You almost feel guilty if, you, if good things came out of COVID mm-hmm. because of all the suffering um, that went on throughout the world. But uh, it, did, it did give me the opportunity to sit back and, and – be productive and it gave me the time that i needed to to actually flesh out songs and i found a really great co-writer my friend uh jake mayer from town there's uh there's nothing like finding somebody that you can collaborate with mm-hmm. we've been producing uh one song after another so we'll, i hope to send you folks some of that, that music soon oh that'd be great. nice that'd be great so um so yeah, so we were talking about training. Sure. Sorry. <laughs> um, so so one of the things that I like to tell people is, uh, you know, the national average, and let's. I'm only going to be able to quote you, you know, 2020, 2019, you know, before things got really stupid with inflation and um, mm-hmm. you know, different challenges in, in the economy. So if we go that route, when we started. Um, the national average was about $25,000 in three to five years. And this racket that we're in, let's face it, it's it's the PTSD business, it's mental health. I don't know very many people that can wait that long. And I'll, I'll share a, a statistic that unfortunately we were subjected to. Um, in the process of getting started and getting all these dogs in motion to eventually get funneled to their recipient, we got backlogged almost overnight, which is why today I don't I don't have a waiting list. I refuse because I never know when my next dollar is coming in, 
and I never know what the resources we're going to have at our disposal will be, especially in these turbulent times. And so uh, in the beginning, we did take a waiting list and nine people took their lives while waiting for us to either start or finish um, the dog that we were trying to work on for them. Mm. So nine people. <clears throat> that's a that's a statistic that I hate, right. um, but it's a reality, and it's why I don't want to spend three to five years like the national average. All I want to do is focus on a PTSD service dog. That's it. And by doing that, we're at about a year to eighteen months, and we're at about ten thousand bucks, depending on where that person's going to be. I mean, twenty states. I'm sure you can imagine that. On some dogs, we probably spent more on travel than other dogs sure. based on yeah. wherever we had to go. Right, um, right. But wrapped up in that is about $1,500 in travel, about $1,200 in, um, depending on if we're at 12 months or a year and a half uh, on, uh, you know, veteran, uh, not veteran bills, but veterinarian bills, right? Okay. Vet bills, uh, <laughs> health for the dog. Right. And you got feed and um you got about 5000 to 6800 bucks in specialized training. Okay. And so we look at a, about three phases that we want to progress through. Uh, the first phase is your basic obedience, you know, just getting that dog accustomed to a, a crate, uh, getting accustomed to learning how to go to the bathroom and not hopefully at a, you know, a restaurant uh, dining facility. And then we look at advanced uh, obedience from there. Uh, once the dog is progressing and lastly we want to do what's called task training so ADA standards dictate that you have to have that dog has to be obedient um, it has to have um, some manners in public scenarios and then it's got to have a task that it can perform to qualify as a service dog we do two tasks and sometimes we specialize a little bit based on what the the need of the recipient is but the one thing that I won't jeopardize is I want that dog to create space in public scenarios. I don't know very many people that have been shell-shocked like me who don't want someone coming up behind them, who don't doesn't want somebody coming into their personal space. And yeah. so we teach the dogs to create that space. Okay. The second thing that we like them to do is pick up on your emotional distress. You witnessed it on video, yeah. which I hope Absolutely. you don't share this because you know I've been working all day and I feel very ungroomed and <laughs> no, no, no doesn't transpose to the camera. <laughs> no video. It's not but, even being recorded. Uh, but Lacey was picking up on my uh, emotional triggers, right? Yeah. And what she was trying to do is say, hey, I'm here. Pay attention to me. She started where you couldn't see her on camera and she worked her way all the way up into my face to let me know I need to take my mind off whatever I'm thinking about mm -hmm. and pay attention to her. Yeah. And that in a nutshell is what we do and we try to do it as quickly as possible. Yeah. yeah. And I bet a lot of dogs, that comes really natural for them. I mean, that's kind of who they are in a lot of ways. Yep. <laughs> the, bond, the bond is cru crucial. Mm -hmm. um, any, any pet owner that's ever had a dog uh, understands that either you're the fortunate one and you're the chosen one or your wife is or your daughter is or your son is, right? <laughs> that dog's going to pick somebody. Yeah. And that's that's who they're going to bond with. Now, they might tolerate everybody else, but the bond is crucial. And so um, how, how do we how do we make that happen? We introduce dogs to potential candidates and we see which one's going to really take an interest. And then we go forward from there. Right. So we let the dog pick the human, not the other way around. Nice. That's great. So uh, Lacey is a border collie. Right? Is it Border no. Collie? She's an Australian Shepherd. Australian. Okay, so she is. They're okay. like cousins, so you're, yeah. you're you're close. You're okay. 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 I just the, saw the, the main difference white. is uh, they they typically lop off the tail, oh. so Aussies don't typically. They have like a little nub and they get that little wiggle butt and stuff going on, but uh, <laughs> Border Collies keep their tail. And okay. I, I mean, I think it's good for even people just to know if they when they see a service dog, if a service dog is circling someone, then then keep your distance you know don't don't uh don't get close to those people and, yeah. you know a lot why, of debate so. in that area um uh, people know Lacey as the people service dog because we trained her to interact with the public to demonstrate the power of our program right okay. and she's just hella good at it too i mean let's just be real anybody that's met her knows that she's definitely not going to alert me 
to somebody that's going to, you know, break into my house. Right. So mm -hmm. she's probably going to go assess them and say, Hey man, what's wrong with you? Let me talk to you about your needs. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Lacey's not going to be a good guard dog, but she's great at picking up on people's emotions and then getting them to pay attention to her instead of whatever they're thinking about. I'm just really enjoying your stories, by the way, Kevin, and uh, yes. your explanation of, of what's going on. You know, I, I, I have some background and uh, with, with mental health programs and supporting them and, uh, but in, in service animals, uh, I've worked with folks that had service animals that were that were active duty Air Force currently, and it's just amazing um, all the things you take for granted when you see an animal like that. You just think somebody went down to the shelter and grabbed a dog and and, and put a harness on it and said, uh, "Here's here's your animal," but it's it's so much more involved and in, and in so much more critical that you find the right fit. For the animal and and for the uh, patient or person, I don't know. Patient's probably not the right word, but uh, it's uh, just really fascinating to me. Yeah, it is. I appreciate that, and, and and you're right. And we were touching on a point. You know, um, there's nothing in the rule book that says that I have to put a vest on my dog. That is a courtesy. And, a, and in some cases, that's a deterrent that I've created right. so that you will pay attention. Right. You being, you know, uh, the general public, pay attention that I may or may not want you to just approach my dog. Right. right. So yeah. I educate people on this all, all day long um, to, to ask permission when you see the badging service dog. And, you know, if it says don't pet, you know, right. then just respect that. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm, I'm different. Because I, I want to talk to people. I want to engage in conversation and talk about what we've been doing for four and a half, going on five years. And I, I want to show and demonstrate. So that's different, right? I'm the exception. I'm definitely not the rule. Um, you walk up to somebody that's got a service dog and you could be uh, disrupting that dog and what it's uh, meant to do. You know, so right. just got to be careful and, and always be courteous. And, and you know, the, the challenge that we have with some of these dogs is they're, they're good looking dogs, right? Yeah. just look adorable yeah. and so it's yeah. natural to want to approach and yeah. um just don't get don't get your feelings hurt if the yeah the handler says no i know right. yeah now i know that you said that you had policies and procedures in place and if you're not comfortable with this question feel free to just bat it back to me but um i'm wondering what is what it, i've experienced the death of two of my dogs and they were my emotional support dogs in in other ways so you know it was pretty intense so how do you prepare someone who gets a dog do you have a policy where where they can retire someplace else or do they become a pet and they get another service dog or how does how does that work because the death of dogs really sucks <laughs> yeah yeah, my, my grandpa, um, he's, he's no longer with us anymore, but uh, he was a retired Nazarene pastor of all, I mean, <laughs> hellfire and brimstone oh type stuff. He was a missionary in Mexico. Um, but I asked him once, you know, I asked him two questions. Grandpa, how does that dog understand that um, I'm upset? You know, yeah. and he, he, he would talk about the sixth sense being that animals are more of spirit than they are of flesh like you and I, right? So... Um, that's how they're able to do that. And then he said on the, on the aspect of how long they live, um, it was a design by God in his opinion to teach us to learn how to deal with grief. Mm. And, um, uh, to answer your question, um, we've obviously not been around long enough to experience, um, yeah. that scenario just yet, but we do have a plan. Um, I, I want to get as much serviceability life out of a dog as possible. That's the other reason why we have an accelerated program. So if you think about three to five years on the national average, you've, you've consumed potentially half of that dog's life just in training alone. Yeah. And you almost got to start immediately from the time that you hand off that dog, you're almost starting on the next dog for that person, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so there's a short window. So we're looking at, you know, an eight to 12 year uh, uh, cycle where we can give that dog the last two years of its life uh, a good retirement okay. um, and we can start queuing up the next dog. Yeah. But that's up to the recipient. 
um, we told them every single person we handed a dog to that um, when that time comes, we'll be there for them. But it's up to them to make that decision if they want to, you know, go on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm number one technically, right? Uh-huh. Lacey's the oldest dog in my program. And I don't know that I will want another dog. I don't think that she's replaceable. Right. And uh, I'll just have to process that. That's my personal decision. Um, but she's different. She changed my life. She helped me get off 12 different medications at the time. When you, when you factored in all the people that were trying to help me, um, it was actually hurting me, you know, because yeah. you get one medication and then you got to treat the side effects of that medication with another medication. Yeah. And if stuff doesn't work, we got to try different things. And yeah. um, at and one point in time, I was even on uh, oxygen at night, not because I have bad lungs or anything, but I was on so much stuff to mm-hmm. sedate me mm. and this severe PTSD um, to put me to sleep that it was it was affecting uh, my lungs and uh, I was getting less than 80% oxygen, and that's called brain damage. Yeah, so, that's right. bad. Um, at one point in time, I sold my truck because I can remember uh, arriving at work but not knowing how the hell I got there because I wasn't fully awake, right. and I was just mm-hmm. driving on muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for a while, we just went to one vehicle because I didn't trust myself. Sure. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'd just almost arrive at the you know at work and i would circle back and go home several times back and forth looking to see if i hit anybody or killed someone that's how paranoid it was about Mm. you know that situation so uh, so lacy helped me get off all that stuff and it was a phased approach because some medications you just can't quit you know right now right yeah wean yourself off Mm -hmm. and uh you know i started losing weight started feeling better because some of those medications were weight gainers and to treat, uh, you know, you get blown up, you're going to feel it in your body every single morning. Let me tell you. Absolutely. I'm 46 years old today. Uh, when I first got blown up, I was 30. Uh, and a doctor did a a stress test on me, took all my vitals, made me run on a treadmill with all this stuff attached to me, do a bunch of blood work. He said, you've got the body of a 51 year old. That was when I was 30. Mm. So if I'm 46 now, what do you think the real age of my body is today? I don't feel very good. I can tell you that, but I do feel good in the fact that I'm not having to be so dependent on medication. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do for others. Um, I want the dog to be the medication and I don't think there's a better prescription. Right. So how is this fundraiser going to help you complete your mission? When we started out this year to give you an idea, we were in excess of $50,000 in the hole. Today, we have eradicated that debt, but we have two more dogs we have to finish for the year. Okay. And, um, you know, the estimates that we are at is anywhere between fifteen dollars and $18,000 to finish off their training. Okay. And, you know, that's obviously feed, vet bills included in that. But um, I hope that whatever we raise we can use to finish off our commitments and if we're really lucky i hope that we could potentially raise enough to have an operating budget for next year but with the cost of living being what it is today um a lot of doors uh to big businesses have closed on us that weren't previously closed i mean let's let's put it to you like this facebook made an announcement that they're no longer going to cover the fees associated with somebody choosing your organization for a birthday fundraiser. That's going to impact us oh, severely. Okay. Um, yeah. Amazon smile. That's, that doesn't yeah, exist anymore. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if giants like those two companies are saying, we're not going to be in the charitable space anymore for yeah. you. Yeah. Well, right. What do you think? How do you think that propagates to the person that might donate $5 a month from time to time? Mm-hmm. You know, we have seen a massive plummet in donations and at this time and this is a sad thing to say but i'm going to be transparent and honest at this time i don't know if we're going to be in business this time next year Mm. i mean it's just a sad fact um i've watched eight different charities that i used to collaborate with because i can't be all things to all people so i would collaborate with people that could get you free mental health visits and things like that and 
We work with another organization called the Precious Legacy that pours funds and resources into kids of the fallen. You know, okay. it's a great organizations, right? But I've I've watched so many uh, charities close their doors, and I'm just trying to be that charity that can survive. Right. And, and right now, I just don't. I can't call it. Right. I just can't. Mm-hmm. All of us work full time. All of us donate 100% of our time so that every dollar that comes in goes 100% to the cause. Now, we have a website that costs money. We have some papers and stationery and stuff that we mail out from time to time. So is that going to uh, the dog or the recipient in one way or another? No, those are operational costs, but a high percentage, and we estimate 99% goes straight to the needs of that dog and getting that dog in the hands of the recipient. And again, I don't know many organizations that can say the same. Yeah. Um, There are uh, rules that the IRS say and, and, and govern a 501c3 like ours. And they say only 20 cents of every dollar has to go to your mission. The rest can be for whatever you want. So we don't have a paid staff. We do contract uh, professional dog trainers to help expedite our, our and streamline our process. But there's no paid staff in this organization. It's an, all, it's an act of love. Right. I've helped uh, several organizations form. We've given them a turnkey operation. We've shown them what our bylaws look like and you know, articles of incorporation look like. We've given them everything, and we've helped them have a, a playbook for success for their own organization. So I, I, I understand today that the only way, if we're going to make a true dent in, in veterans suicide and, and, you know, it goes in our organization, it goes veterans, first responders and special circumstances of PTSD. One of the dogs I've delivered that I'm the most proud of is uh, Caden, this little girl who lost her dad not in Afghanistan, although he had multiple tours. He was a a 20-year service member, a captain in the army as a military policeman. He's on his way home and he turns on his uh, lights, his police lights, to help off by the age of 11. Uh, We finished the dog by the time she turned 13. And for someone who didn't like giving hugs, she gave me a hug as soon as she got to take her dog home for good. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're getting shot at, Right. When you're in these hairy situations that you find in war, these ugly situations, you you talk to one another. And a lot of the guys would talk to me because I didn't have any kids at the time. You know, now I have an eight year old daughter and she calls herself Baby Warhawk. Mm-hmm. Right? She's so ingrained in my charity and the work that we do. Yeah. She grew up in it, you know. Yeah. Right. Um, but at the time, these guys would say to me, Kevin, if I die, we take care of my family. Of course, I would always say that I would, but that was the first time that I ever felt like I made good on that promise. Yeah. And um, what an awesome experience, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to impact that kid's life. Right. Her mother uh, would later receive a dog from me later down the road as well, because that woman went through hell and back to keep her family together after losing her uh, husband. And she is, uh, her name is Amber Edom, and she's the founder of the Precious Legacy who helps children of the fallen. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe my organization closes. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But even if it does, how many different seeds have we planted that have grown and sprouted up all over the place? And if we're going to put a dent in the veteran suicide rate or the fact that since we've been on this call, there's been at least two suicides in America, because in America, every 13 minutes, somebody's killing themselves. Yeah. If we're really going to make a difference in, in the, the mental health space, I have got to duplicate myself as many times over. I can't be concerned about how many dollars my organization's pulling in as long as other organizations are helping in this space. That's all I care about. Yeah. Right. That's nice. Well, I'm excited for this fundraiser though, and I'm I'm so I'm so happy that, that you've got some people who are in Benson that's doing it for you. And I I, I really think that it could be a, a huge success for you as well. And Jimmy, Jimmy packs a punch. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, does. he carries a lot of swagger in the Omaha area. And sure does. Uh, Jason is a great he guy. Does. And I think that the lineup that they've got, um, you know, I feel blessed and fortunate, you know, to have guys like of Jimmy's caliber, even, you know, stand up and say, yeah, man, 
I'll stand in that void with you. And that's what it's about. And um, people know Jimmy. Um, he's a veteran, just like me. And we're just trying to make a difference in this world. You know, um, I'm sure that uh, Jimmy could go on to way bigger, uh, better things than what we've got to offer. But the fact that he says, yeah, this is important enough that I need to make time for this. That's a big deal. So, Jimmy, I just want you to know, even though we don't know each other that well, I feel like I do know you well enough to you understand when I say that I appreciate you with all my heart. Um, I'm not a big I don't like people to get hung up on a dollar amount of what you know, what we might uh, raise that night. Just the fact that it's going to happen at all. I think we're going to win. And if it helps bat down just a little bit more on those last two dogs that we got to complete for the year. It's just going to be a success. And so uh, we get people through the doors. Um, it's going to be a good deal. Yeah. So thank you, Jimmy. Oh, thank you. It's a well. I just want to say it's a wonderful hearing your story. It's, a, it's such a powerful story. And I think that is what really makes the difference in an event like this. I mean, the, the music is a great way for people to connect. Music has that power. But uh, hearing your story firsthand as a veteran myself, I spent uh, multiple tours overseas traveling by all the up-armored RVs and Humvees and, and choppers and traveling. And, and by the grace of God, I came home uh, relatively unscathed, you know. You do see a lot of things over there that are difficult to unsee, and maybe we're not meant to. Uh, to unsee them because there's suffering in the world and our service members are asked to carry so much of that on their shoulders. We ask our men and women that go into war zones to do things that would be crimes in America to defend us. You know, the use of weapons uh, to defend themselves and to carry on offensive activities. It's, it's very difficult when they come home to just simply walk back into society. Yeah. And uh, so many of our servicemen and women have done this over and over again, and, and uh, Kevin's no uh, exception. In fact, his story is extremely powerful. So the fact that I got asked to be a part of this is an honor. And uh, the, the, the musicians and the entertainers, we're donating our time, and uh, the ticket price is a premium price. It's not a, it's not a night out on on the weekends where everybody's throwing five bucks in a hat, you know, our ticket prices in advance, I believe are $30 and $40 at the gate, mm -hmm. but you're going to get a show. Yeah. Um, you're going to hear more stories uh, like this, but the music is going to connect us and it's going to be a joyful night. Uh, Jason Burnstow will be opening, I believe the, the show. And he's just a, not only a, a fine entertainer, but a very attractive man. <laughs> and, uh, so, I'm sure you'll appreciate that. I'm just going to find out. I'll know if he listened to this. You know. I'm sure he will. But Jason has a huge heart. His dad is a Vietnam veteran, I believe. And uh, his Jason's always the first to raise his hand when there's something that benefits our service members. Ion's coming on. Um, I, I was unfamiliar with Ion. And until I went to YouTube, and she has a, a song on there called Why Anna. I think it has somewhere in the neighborhood of 55,000 views. Ooh. She actually opened for Bon Jovi. Nice. And I, and, and I don't know if that's the name of her or the group. I think, I think she has a fine guitarist with her in the video, so it, it could be a collaborative effort. But um, John Bon Jovi himself actually put out a tweet that I read, and you can read it on her, her site. It's I-O-N-E. And uh, when she has that song, Why Anna, and it's just a very well-produced single. And to have somebody of the uh, caliber of John Bon Jovi take time. They have, uh, these large acts have openers all the time, but when they single somebody yeah. out, yeah. Uh, you know, unsolicited and send out, this is a real act, is what he was saying. This is a real talent. Yeah. So I, I feel excited to be there nice. <laughs> as, a, as an audience member, much less to be on stage. But it's an honor to, to be part of this event. There's, there's so many organizations out there that either, either are trying to help people or claim they're trying. And uh, he, uh, you mentioned before, Kevin, that uh, some, some charities are 
only required to give a fraction of what is raised. I love a charity like this because, number one, uh, it's legit. Uh, the funds are going to what they're, they're, they're being advertised for, but seeing the interaction between a service member and their service animal. The, my favorite part of this interview was when you said you got off so many medications because of the comfort of, of having a, a living, breathing being at your side. That It's funny how that works. God can do that in our lives. He, he provides so many things that uh, we try to substitute drugs, or, or in many cases we, we substitute alcohol, illicit things, not prescribed things, to try to fill that void, and I love this. Uh, I love this event. I love what you're doing with Warhawk, and uh, I can't wait to to be part of this. Yeah, it's gonna be so. Yeah. You know, for uh, obviously Jimmy's done his homework, right? Um, he said a legit organization, and it's such a um, uh, huge uh, compliment. Um, back in February. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Chris Cruzy. I don't know if you know who he is, Jimmy. Um, he, he's in the country. Um, he, he was on The Voice, and I think he was runner-up several years ago. But there's this organization in Wisconsin um, uh, called Post 127 AMVETS, Sons of AMVETS, Squadron 127 in Lady Smith, Wisconsin. And they just reached out to me out of the blue and said, hey, I heard that you have two dogs in our area in Russ County. I said, yes, sir, that's correct. But well, we want to do something for you. We want to put on a benefit for you. Can you make it up here in February? And I said, sure. And these guys did their homework just like Jimmy did. And the biggest compliment I've ever been paid was from the squadron commander of that organization. He said, I've met Kevin, I've vetted Kevin, and he's the real deal. And in one night, they surpassed every single fundraising uh, agenda we've ever had in one night they nice. raised more for us in any than any event we'd ever put on ourselves nice. um, and and what's amazing about this is that um, the hearts and the uh, that poured into us that night this is the uh, poorest county in all of Wisconsin and the second poorest county in all of America and they outperformed any fundraising initiative we've ever had on the books, period. What's that tell you? Yeah. If, if yeah. they didn't believe in us, if they didn't see it maybe as well, the local to them with the, the dogs that we deployed to their area, mm -hmm. um, maybe we wouldn't have won that big. And they're a big reason why we climbed out of a big hole this year. You know. But yeah. I'm always appreciative when somebody does their homework, when they vet us. You know, we're not digital media uh, experts. We're not social media experts. But man, we put it all out there and we're transparent. Yeah. And um, so it's not hard to find, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just really appreciate that compliment, Jimmy. I really do. Well, and I, I will tell you, as far as the vetting, the only vetting I really needed in all of this was from Jason Bernstill and Janelle Roker, who came to me and said, we are behind this. That's all I needed to hear uh, because I trust uh, those two individuals. And I just said, yes, tell me where, when, and what. And then I learned about the what. <laughs> but the, uh, we're, we're excited to be part of this. And it's going to be, uh, you know, I think, I think each, each act is going to perform, you know, maybe in the four or five song range. Uh, so for you folks who are elderly like me, <laughs> who are... <laughs> Who, who can't party all night long like we used to. Uh, it's going to be a night that uh, folks can come and enjoy, and it's a theater atmosphere, yes. which I love performing in those. And, of course, uh, the burgers here, they, they know all about the theater. Mm -hmm. One of the nice things is people know the etiquette. When you come into a theater, if you go watch a movie, you're generally not talking, and if you are, you're usually asked to leave it. In an event like this, you can come and actually focus on the entertainment and enjoy it. It's not going to be a noisy bar crowd. No. Uh, I'm sure those refreshments and all those things that you would expect are going to be available. Yes. And they're probably going to be available. Uh, um, it'll be uh, at your disposal to to give even more than your ticket price. You know, uh, A lot of times 
once people come to an event like this and see, hey, this is the real deal, this is making an impact, they can they can go home and say, you know, this is something I'd like to support long term, right. uh, maybe with a larger one-time gift or, or with ongoing gifts. And uh, But uh, all that's going to be required is your ticket price at the door. I can promise you a good show, even if I don't deliver because of uh, Jason and I own <laughs> but, uh, but it's it's great to get together and fellowship over something everybody knows is a good deal. Absolutely. So thank you so much for letting me be part of it. And thank you both for talking to us about this. These are really important conversations. And I just, you know, Kevin, I just can't imagine it. Chris and I were saying it before the podcast. You know, we were talking about the suicides of some of the police um, at, at on January 6th. And, you know, and afterwards. And I can't imagine, that was one day. I can't imagine, you know, um, our veterans having to, to deal with what they deal with for years. So really just thank you both for your service and your dedication to, to all well, of thank us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You always, you have an open invitation here anytime. Absolutely. <laughs> we are so do. happy to talk to you both. And, yes. And we think this is going to be just a really good success for you. And, and hey, let's meet back here a year from now. <laughs> and see where you are because I'm pretty sure you're still going to be here. <laughs> well, absolutely. And this would remind folks it's called Cords for Canines. It's a Warhawk PTSD service animal event. Uh, we're raising money directly to, to train and uh, get those animals prepared to, to save lives and to and help these veterans not only survive but carry their stories and carry their inspiration forward. That's going to be September 21st. 7 p.m. at the beautiful Benson Theater. If yes. you have not been there, that's worth the ticket price alone just to come. Yeah. Uh, Jason Burnstill, I own, and uh, myself. And we're excited to, to be part of this, Kim. Thank you for letting us uh, be part of that. And I want to thank the, the Platte River Bard for having us on. Oh, thank you. We are honored to have you both. Thank you for listening and supporting the arts in the Platte River area and beyond. Please subscribe to our podcast so you are sure to catch all of our future episodes and join us on social media. See you next time on the Platte River Bard. <laughs>